Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What are the social implications of Christianity? If a person gets saved today, what should they change or seek to change in their lives? Where should the emphasis be? Should they change their marital status? Should they change their nationality? Should they change their social standing? And how much should a Christian be involved in social revolution? For instance, if you are saved in a country headed by a communist dictator, should you be involved in a revolt to overthrow that government? Is that the emphasis that I, as a Christian, should have in my life? Well, here in chapter 7, in verses 17 to 24, Paul lays down a principle that helps us in answering those questions. And the principle simply stated is this, Christians should not be preoccupied with changing their outward circumstances. You say, well, Dan, I thought this was a chapter about marriage. It is. The Corinthians had many questions about marriage, and there were some Christians in Corinth, Jewish Christians, who were saying single people must marry because it's a sin not to. There were other people who were Gentiles saying that single people should not marry because celibacy is more spiritual. In fact, married people ought to divorce and live single. So Paul writes this chapter, and and he begins this chapter and tells them that both being single and being married are good. If you're single, it's good to stay that way. If you're married, stay that way. If you're married to an unbeliever, make every effort to remain in that relationship. But if the unbeliever leaves, let them leave. And then from that point, Paul broadens his focus in verses 17 to 24 and gives us a general principle, and then he elaborates on it and applies it. And I want us to look at this passage in four parts, the principle, the particulars, the practice, and the priorities. First of all, the principle. Now, Paul gives the principle three times in this passage. In verse 17, in verse 20, and again in verse 24. So he gives it on both ends of the passage, and he gives it right in the middle. If I was going to outline this passage, it's structured like a Big Mac. Two pieces of bread on the outside, one in the middle, and the meat and pickles and lettuce and all that stuff, and what is it, the secret sauce, are, are in between. But it's obvious to me that Paul wants us to get this principle because he says it three times. So let's pay attention. I want to read the three statements of the principle. Verse 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each one, in this manner let him walk. Then verse 20, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. 
Verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now, what's the principle? The principle is that Christians, Christians should stay in whatever circumstances they are saved in. Christians should not be preoccupied with changing their outward circumstances. You see, Christianity is not focused on social change. It's not a social revolution. It's spiritual regeneration. There's no reason to come up to a new Christian and say, now that you're a Christian, you've got to become single, or you've got to get married, or you've got to get rid of that unsaved spouse. You see, Christianity was never designed to be a disruptor of social relationships. When you do that, you cloud the message. Because Christianity is about moral change. It's not about social reformation. And you see, as a Christian, I can exist in any social situation. So I don't say, now that I'm a Christian, I need to destroy my home. Now that I'm a Christian, I need to ruin my friendships. Now that I'm a Christian, I need to attack the social institutions in my life. You see, a relationship to Christ is compatible with any social status. You can be single, married, mixed married, by which I mean believer, unbeliever, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free. You can live in a democracy like the United States, or you can live in Cuba or China. You see, Christianity is compatible with any social status. And why is that? Because it's internal, not external. The gospel is not an immediately revolutionizing, disorganizing element in society. For instance, if a wife becomes a Christian, what should she be? A better wife. If a husband becomes a Christian, what should he be? A better husband. If a friend becomes a Christian, what should he be? A better friend. If a citizen becomes a Christian, what should he be? A better citizen. So the initial response of a Christian is not to overthrow social institutions, even when those institutions are wrong. Even if it's slavery. Even if it's communism. You see, my response is to be the very finest Christian that I can be in the circumstances in which I find myself, whatever those circumstances may be. And Paul wants us to get that by laying down this principle. Christians should not be preoccupied with changing their outward circumstances. Now, notice how he says that in verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. Now, the word called is synonymous here with being saved. Back in chapter 1 and verse 9, he used the same word when he said, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So being called is synonymous with being saved. So Paul is saying, whatever situation you find yourself in when you're saved, stay there. 
Are you single? Stay single. Are you married? Stay married. Are you under a communist government? Stay there. Are you a street sweeper? Stay there. Are you a chicken farmer? Stay there. You see, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that I suddenly change all of my social relationships. Now, there are exceptions. If you're a cat burglar or a prostitute or a bootlegger, there need to be some immediate changes because that's a moral issue, not a social issue. But the general principle is stay where you are. Grow where you're planted. Which brings us secondly to the particulars. Again in verse 17. And notice this verse again. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk, and so I direct in all the churches. Now let me point out three particulars in this verse about the principle. First of all, it's specific. Did you notice? It's each one and each Each one that God has called, God has assigned. And what has God assigned for you? Well, God has assigned specifically your particular situation. You say, well, Dan, how do you know that's what he means? Well, look at verse 18 when he follows it up by saying, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Look at verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. You see, he's telling us that your situation, when you were saved, is designed and assigned by God. Did you ever think about that? You are called in and to the situation you are in. Your social status, your location, your employment, your marital status, all those things are social issues and they are places where God has assigned you to be. Now we love to say that God calls missionaries to foreign countries. We love to say that God calls people into ministry. But you see, God has called you into that ministry of your circumstances, whatever they may be. You see, God has a hand in your circumstances even before you're saved. Because he says that the moment you're saved, he has assigned you to your circumstances. You think about the Apostle Paul. Paul studied Judaism. Was that just a coincidence? No, the Bible says in Galatians 1.15 that God set him apart from his mother's womb. And so even before he was saved, God was building things into his life that would be useful in his ministry. Now, there were some things that had to change when he became a believer, like persecuting the church. But see, God knows your circumstance. Single, married, divorced, whatever. He saved you in that situation, and he can use you in that situation. And that is true of every one of you. Secondly, not only is it particular, it's universal. Notice the end of verse 17. 
And so I direct in all the churches. All the churches. This is a universal principle. It applies just as well to the churches in the United States as it does to the churches in Cuba or anywhere else. It is for everybody, everywhere. And then thirdly, it's local. And what I mean by that is, God can use you right where you are. How far do you have to travel to find your calling? Nowhere. You see, we are easily discontent today. We say, if I only had a better job, if I only had a newer house, if I only had the ideal marriage, well, guess what God has called you to? Your marriage in your house with your job. You see, it's local. It's right where I am right now. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't call certain people to go across the continent or across the world. Like Abraham was called to leave his country and go to that place that God has called him to. But the point is, don't sit around and wait for that day. The day is now. You are already called to be used by God right where you are. And then thirdly, the practice. How do we practice this principle? Or how do we apply this principle? And Paul applies this principle three ways. First of all, your race. And this may be a bad application. I would probably change this if I hadn't printed it already. Uh, But it it, it really has to do with race in terms of Jew-Gentile, but it's probably a broader application in terms of your culture and your heritage and so forth. But notice verse 18. He says, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to be uncircumcised. Now, I'm not going to explain circumcision to you. But it's a little surprising when he says, don't be uncircumcised. I'm not sure how you get uncircumcised. However, in First and Second Maccabees, which is not scripture, but which was written in the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's valid for historical data of that time, in 1 Maccabees 1.15, it describes how some Jews had their circumcision scars surgically covered so that they could abandon their Jewishness and go to the gymnasium as Gentiles and go to the uh, places like that and look like a Gentile. So the idea is, if you're saved as a Jew, don't become a Gentile. And he's not just talking surgically, he's talking practically. He's saying if you're saved as a Jew, there is no reason for you to defend your Jewish heritage and alienate yourself from your Jewish relatives and friends. Don't become a Gentile. And then notice the end of verse 18. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. If you're saved as a Gentile, don't run out and become a Jew. Don't run out and get circumcised. Stay the way you are. Why? Verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. 
Whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised doesn't mean anything. You see, that is a ritual or the absence of a ritual that has no value in your life. It will only disrupt other people if you do that. So he's saying, don't try to change your circumstances. The only thing that matters is what? Keeping the commandments of God. See, don't change your circumstances. Change your allegiance. Don't change your race or your culture or your heritage. Change your actions right in the middle of the environment in which you are. And then secondly, he applies it to your job. Notice verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. Don't try to change that. Grow where you're planted. You see, being a slave is not an obstacle to Christianity. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, Paul addresses slaves and he says, Slaves revolt, rebel, escape, overthrow. No, he doesn't say that. He says, slaves, be obedient to your masters. That's our calling. Whatever circumstance you're in, you're to be a better slave. And then notice the rest of verse 18. He says, has anyone been called in... I'm sorry, verse... How did I do that? Oh, verse 21. He says... Were you called while a slave, do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. If you're a slave, be the best slave you can be. However, if you get the opportunity to go free, grab that opportunity. But it's not to be your primary focus. Why not? Verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. If physically and circumstantially I'm a slave and the Lord saves me, what am I? I am spiritually free, and that's what matters. When I was in school in Chicago, I used to go down to Cook County Jail every Monday night and hold Bible studies with the inmates, and there was a fellow there that had found his wife with another guy, and he killed them both. And so he was in Cook County Jail awaiting trial. Very strong Christian. He went to trial, and they gave him 40 years in prison. And everybody was worried when he came back how he would respond to now being told that he was going to be in prison for 40 years. He came back and asked if he could get up in front of the whole group of about 200 inmates and he stood up and said I may be imprisoned behind bars for the rest of my life but in Jesus Christ I'm free that's what this verse is saying if you are saved as a slave don't worry about becoming circumstantially free you are free in Jesus Christ and then notice the other side of that the rest of verse 22 Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Were you called as a free man outside of slavery? Guess what? You have a master. You are a slave. You are a bond slave to Jesus 
Christ. You see, my circumstances aren't really important because spiritually, I'm both free and I'm a slave. I am free from sin and free from the punishment of sin, but I am also Christ's slave. I obey him. And then notice verse 23. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He says, get a hold of this. You, as a slave, have been bought. We learned that back in chapter 6 and verse 20. Who bought you? Jesus Christ. What was the price? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You have been bought by Jesus Christ to be his slave. And what's the application? Look at the rest of verse 23. He says, do not become slaves of men. You see, whether you're circumstantially a slave or circumstantially free, you are the slave of Jesus Christ, so don't become a slave of men. What's he mean by that? Don't make your primary loyalty a man. That's why it says in Ephesians 6, 5, Slaves, obey your masters as to Christ. You see, even when you're obeying your master, you're ultimately doing it for a higher motivation, and that is you're serving Jesus Christ. And that's why it says in that passage that you obey your master even when he's not looking because your real master is always looking. Now, I realize that there's a world of difference between being a slave and working for a corporation, although some of you might argue with that. But that's our application today. I don't know of any slaves in here. If you are, talk to me, because I think you can get out of that. But I think the application here is our job situation and who it is we obey in that setting. And I would say to you, if a slave can grow where he's planted, then you certainly can. Now, can I make this personal? Thank you. We often buy into the concept that I can finally be happy in the workplace if I just get one more promotion. I can finally be happy in the workplace if I have one more jump to another company. We buy into the philosophy that happiness is found at the top of the ladder. You know that saying? Unless you're the lead dog, the view never changes. Well, I would suggest to you that happiness has nothing to do with the view. Happiness has to do with serving God where you're at. And this passage says you can do that on the bottom rung of the ladder because true happiness is found in doing the will of God wherever you are. And college students, let me address you because 
you often spend a lot of time and worry and prayer trying to discern God's will for the career path that you're to go down. This passage would indicate to me that there are multiple choices of places where God could use you. You see, we often worry about, well, I've got to find... In fact, I find people pray about this more than they pray about a whole lot of other things in their life. I've got to get the right job in the right location, and we worry about all of those things. And then we think, well, if I missed it, I've messed up, and I can't get back to that, and it becomes very confusing. This passage tells me it doesn't matter if you're a slave or a master. God can use you in those situations. And so God's will is more about who you are than where you are. Third application is your society. What does this passage say to the person who wants to be a social revolutionary? Well, I find it very interesting that Paul does not condemn slavery in this passage. In fact, he says... In verse 21, were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. I don't see a verse that says slavery is wrong, we need to change it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that Paul doesn't condemn slavery in this passage? Well, I think the answer is that if he condemned slavery, it would tag Christianity as a social revolution. And that's not what it is. Jesus told the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. You know why? Because they were looking for a social revolution. John's gospel says they were going to come by force and make him their king. Why didn't Jesus get on a horse and overthrow the Roman government? Because his kingdom is not of this world. You see, when Christianity targets social change, people miss the message. Christianity is not about external change. It's about internal change. God is interested in changing people, not circumstances. Which brings us to the fourth point, the priorities. And let me close with three priorities you need to have to grow where you're planted. And they're found in three phrases in this passage. The first priority for you is spiritual progress. Notice verse 17 again. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And notice that word walk. That's a word used throughout the New Testament to describe the Christian life. And describe the fact that we are making spiritual progress. And I find it interesting that it's the word walk used over and over again. Because walk tells us something that is slow and steady and step by step. And I think Paul is saying, don't worry about running to a different situation. Walk in the situation you are in. Accept the situation you have, the circumstances that you have, and make spiritual progress where you are. That's priority number one. Priority number two is obedience. Look at verse 19. The end of the verse says, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. 
What matters is not that you get out of your circumstances. What matters is that you do the will of God. You obey him inside your circumstances. You see, you don't have to wait to do the will of God until you get there. You can do the will of God right here. In your difficult marriage, in your tough job, in this corrupt society. Listen to Neil Anderson, former chairman of the Practical Theology Department at Talbot. He says this, An important concept about the will of God that my students here at seminary is, bloom where you're planted. Be the best you can be at your present assignment and stay there until God calls you elsewhere. Oftentimes, my students will say, there are no openings to serve at my church. My response, oh, yes, there are. They're probably begging someone to teach third-grade boys. The momentary silence reveals this thought. But anyone can teach third-grade boys. I had something bigger in mind. And he says, yeah, like an opening in the Trinity. Take the opportunity before you and teach those third grade boys. Decide to be the best teacher they've ever had. People hearing of your faithfulness and aware of the fruit you are bearing will ask you to consider a full-time pastoral position. God guides those who bloom where they're planted. Obedience. Third priority. Enjoy the presence of God. Look at verse 24 again. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. You see that little phrase? With God. What's changed about your circumstance? Nothing physically, but now God is with you in those circumstances. And so the message is, don't bother trying to change the circumstances Let God come into the circumstances and change you. Let me close with this story. A little girl was walking in a garden. She noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She admired how pretty it was and enjoyed its fragrance and said, Oh, it's so pretty. And as she was looking at it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil in which it grew. And in her mind, she said, you know, this flower is too pretty to be planted in such dirt. So she pulled it up by its roots, ran to the water faucet, and washed away the soil. It wasn't long until that pretty flower began to wilt and die. When the gardener saw what the little girl had done, he said, you've destroyed one of my finest flowers. And she said, I'm sorry, but I didn't like it in that dirt. And the gardener replied, I personally chose that spot and mixed the soil because I knew that only there could it it grow to be such a beautiful flower. You get the message? we often fail to realize that our pressures and our trials and our difficulties and our circumstances 
are the dirt. The carefully mixed, fertile soil that God wants us to grow and blossom in. So the message is, grow where you're planted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for this principle that is obviously near to your heart because you repeat it three times. Father, I pray that we would take the time this morning to think about the circumstances that we are giving great effort to try to change in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today because those circumstances may be something that you don't want us to focus on. They may be something you want us to accept for the time being and focus on becoming the person that you want us to be within those circumstances. And Father, I just pray today that you would give us ears to hear how you need us to apply this in our lives, whether it's our culture, whether it's our job, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our society. Father, I just pray that you would touch us in the area where you want us to realize this and allow us to let go of our focus and take hold of yours. And Father, I pray truly that we might allow you to be in the center of our circumstances and change us so that we might glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name.